welcome to the Sleep Easy Anesthesia Podcast. My name is Francis. And I'm John. And today we will be discussing the valvular disorder of aortic regurgitation. When you are finished listening to an episode, please remember to take the survey included in the episode description and provide us with your feedback. Thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy the Sleep Easy Anesthesia Podcast. episode, we'll be discussing the valvular disorder of aortic regurgitation. As always, we will be providing the most crucial facts surrounding this topic and its management in 15 minutes or less. So let's get started. So John, what is aortic regurgitation? Well, Francis, in the most basic terms, the aortic valve, for whatever reason, is incompetent and blood backs up into the left ventricle instead of moving forward into the aorta and to the rest of the body. And what are some of the reasons this happens? The aortic valve leaflets may be incompetent or abnormal due to infective endocarditis, rheumatic fever, bicuspid aortic valve. Remember, there should be three leaflets, not two. Chronic aortic regurgitation may also be due to various comorbidities such as Marfan syndrome, rheumatoid arthritis, or even alkalosing spondylitis. So what does this disorder mean for our hemodynamics? Well, since a portion of the ejected stroke volume backflows from the aorta into the left ventricle, cardiac output is decreased. The increase in blood in the left ventricle then causes an increase in volume and pressure. In order to compensate for this increased volume and pressure, the left ventricle hypertrophies over time. And what does this mean? Well, that means the LV hypertrophy or left ventricular hypertrophy causes an increase in oxygen requirements. This can be especially detrimental for patients because if you combine the increase in oxygen requirements with a decrease in aortic diastolic pressure, AKA reduced coronary blood flow, the patient may begin to experience angina pectoris even in the absence of coronary artery disease. Chronically, the left ventricle can handle the increased volume, but as time progresses, left ventricular failure can occur and blood can back up even further into the left atrium and eventually into the pulmonary vasculature. And what effect does this have? This can then lead to pulmonary edema. These are all reasons why surgery is recommended before the EF or ejection fraction decreases to less than 55% and left ventricular and systolic volume increases to more than 55 milliliters. And what are these parameters normally? Well, normally ejection fraction is between 55 and 70% and left ventricular and systolic volume is normally around 50 milliliters. Acute aortic regurgitation tends to be more severe than chronic aortic regurgitation because the ventricle hasn't had time to compensate for the increased volume. So the patient then experiences rapid deterioration in the left ventricle function and heart failure due to coronary ischemia. This sounds serious. So how do we diagnose this valvular disease? During a patient's physical exam, you will most likely hear 
a diastolic murmur. This is best heard along the right sternal border. Their vital signs will also indicate signs of hyperdynamic circulation, including a widened pulse pressure and bounding pulses. Are there any other signs and symptoms? Sometimes they may not appear until left ventricular dysfunction develops, but they include dyspnea, orthopnea, fatigue, and coronary ischemia. And how do we gauge the severity of the disease? Left ventricular hypertrophy may be evidenced on chest x-ray and EKG. An echo can also reveal underlying causes of the aortic regurgitation, such as leaflet disorders, and measure the size of the left ventricle and ejection fraction. If an echocardiogram is inadequate, a cardiac cath may also be a useful option. And if we do see evidence of aortic regurgitation, what are some of the treatment options? One of the main ones is surgical replacement of the aortic valve, and that's recommended before permanent left ventricular dysfunction occurs, even if the patient is asymptomatic. Aortic valve reconstruction may be attempted in place of valve replacement. Medical treatment includes vasodilators such as nitroprusside and an inotrope such as dibutamine in order to improve stroke volume and reduce regurgitated volume. And if we are taking care of one of these patients, what are our anesthetic considerations? Our main problem is that stroke volume and therefore cardiac output is decreased. So we want to maintain forward left ventricular stroke volume. Maintaining the heart rate from a normal to above normal rate is important. And why is that? Well, the slower the heart rate, the more time in diastole, and therefore the more time for regurgitation to occur. An increase in SVR or systemic vascular resistance may also be detrimental for these patients. If this occurs, you may need to treat with a vasodilator to reduce afterload and an inotrope to increase cardiac contractility. And what about our induction or maintenance of anesthesia? Ideally, your induction should not drastically decrease the heart rate or increase SVR. Many practitioners choose to utilize nitrous oxide with another potent inhaled anesthetic, such as isoflurane, desflurane, or sevoflurane. This helps to increase the heart rate and decrease the SVR with minimal myocardial depression. And what about our IV fluids? Preload should be maintained in order to ensure adequate cardiac output. So giving enough volume is important in these cases. And in the operating room, should we implement any special monitoring? As always, standard monitors are usually adequate for asymptomatic patients, but for severe aortic regurgitation, invasive monitors, such as an arterial line, pulmonary artery catheter, or TEE, can be helpful for detecting myocardial depression and determining IV fluid replacement. It can also aid in our medical management. Well, thanks, John. I definitely learned a lot about aortic regurgitation. Happy to help, Francis. And as always to our listeners, thank you for listening to the Sleep Easy Podcast. We hope to see you again soon.
Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Sleep Easy Anesthesia Podcast. Just a quick reminder to click on the survey link in the podcast description to provide us with your feedback. As always, we appreciate you joining us and look forward to catching you on our next episode of the Sleep Easy Anesthesia Podcast.